Good morning, everybody, and thank you, Roy, Jason, and Tim Rue, right, who wrote that song? Indeed, our prayer is not our will, but God's be done, and that brings us incredible joy and comfort, especially in a season like we have today. Um, it is a joy for me to preach the Word of God to you, and let us start this morning with a prayer. Let's pray. Almighty gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your whole world, uh, your holy word, uh, grant to all of us that our hearts, being free from worldly things, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we might uh, rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all our hearts to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes I start with the intro or pastoral address. This is the letter. And I just want to talk about what's been going on these days, um, especially because of um, perhaps, I don't know, divisive issues over the smallest things. And so it just seems to me uh, these days we're just more angry and angrier, and I do not want that to invade the church, especially the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want to start off by saying that the world is not as it seems. The world is not as it seems. There's almost a new crisis every day that we are alerted to. Uh, every week, we're being told that the world will end in some catastrophic way. And it seems as though the solutions that are being offered are all ways that will end the world sooner. And I'm not just talking about what's current. I'm talking about for the past however many years. Uh, the world is going to end because of this, unless we do this. The world is going to end unless we do this. And so every week, there's a new thing for us to be hyperventilating about, um, anxious about. And so um, here we are today in that kind of culture, in that kind of air that we seem to be breathing whenever we turn on the news or look at our phones. There's things that we don't know of, however, because um, perhaps that it's not been out on the news as much. I'm not sure. Perhaps it has. Um, there was uh, one article that I've been reading, um, and this one um, article had about four scientists. One of them is a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. He's a physician as well. And along with three other scientists, Scott Atlas would write in The Hill um, that, and he was, he was writing around May 25th, so that's about two months ago. He was writing about um, the disease. At that point in time, it had been responsible for about 800,000 deaths, or sorry, 800,000 lost years in life in the States. So the calculation was how old, you know, how young, the average age. So about 800,000 lost years of life so far. However, with sociologists, economists, uh, physicians, and other scientists together, um, a conservative estimate has put the national lockdown to be responsible for at least 700,000 lost years of life every month. And so at that point, we had locked down for about two months. Uh, and so 
at that point it would have been about 1.5 million lost hours or lost years excuse me of life and which of course surpasses the COVID total uh, there are issues being missed because of this lockdown uh, people are extremely aware of COVID and this is good this is right however that's not the only thing that we ought to be um, alerted to perhaps and mind you i'm only speaking from the physiological perspective not spiritual yet and so some statistics uh, are emergency stroke evaluations are down 40 percent of the 650,000 cancer patients receiving chemotherapy in the united states about half of them are missing their treatments uh, because of this um, epidemic about 150,000 new ca cancer cases are typically discovered each month in the US and they are not being diagnosed and two-thirds to three-fourths of routine cancer screenings are not happening because of either the shutdown policy or fear of going outside um, 85% fewer living donor transplants are occurring now as the same period of last year. In addition, and this, this is what alarmed me, and this is all compiled from the CDC and other uh, government agencies, um, about half of childhood vaccinations are not being performed. And so this is a setup of what may be something massive in the future, a health disaster that we may have to go through because of this. And there, those are things that I continue to think about and pray about and look at when we go through something like uh, lockdown. And when we go through something like staying home and not going out. And these are things that I think about and pray about. And I almost, uh, in a mournful manner, um, well, I, I am mourning in many ways. Uh, but uh, I. If you go state by state, it's a little bit difficult to kind of put up a whole picture of the United States. So uh, I'm just going to give you, and you can easily do this in a Google thing, right? Very easy, the, the statistics are out there. But the United Kingdom's National Health Service, they tracked about 17 million people for three months, 17 million adults in three months. And during that time, uh, 10,926 people died of COVID-19. Are, and the way they calculated that is disease caused by the novel coronavirus or complications from the disease. So if you died for either of those reasons, then they chalked it up to that. And that would account for about, of the people that they tracked, about 0.06%. 0.06% of people died from COVID during the time they were tracking, which is about right. If you look at the numbers today in the UK, there are 45K with 66 million population, which is exactly 0.06%. 0.06% is six out of 10,000, okay? Uh, probability or, you know, just statistically. In the US, if you take that number and put it uh, in the same kind of regimen, mind you, not New York and New Jersey. New York and New Jersey have been horrible. They are outliers among the United States. But in New York, New Jersey have, have just seen an incredible amount of death the last uh, four or five months or so because of COVID-19. But not, my, not New York, New Jersey, but including them, even including them, uh, New York is seeing about a 0.04%. I'm sorry, the United States is seeing about 0.04%. And so that's four out of 10,000. 
um, Sweden did not lock down at all, and they are seeing about 0.05%. Uh, and you think about it, five out of 10,000, because we, we, if in this year we have maybe, if you, we're at 142,000 people, uh, 142,000 deaths because of COVID and COVID-related uh, illnesses. Um, even if we got to maybe 200,000, which is still terrible, um, you know, we bring it along with other statistics like motor vehicle accidents are 1.35 million deaths a year happen. So 1.35, and then we still try to manage, and we know these are terrible things, so we do as much as we can. And so I think what we are trying to do is trying to figure out what we can do to mitigate some of these things that cause these health hazards. At, but at the same time, the challenge has been, because it's such a novel virus, the challenge has been what's good and what's really harmful in other ways. Do you know what I'm saying? So what's, what's harming us in other ways that we're not projecting? Will this harm us for the next 700 years because of what we're doing now? Are people dying because they don't have a job, they're unemployed, and they're not getting the health care benefits that they would have gotten? And so these are things that a lot of our government agencies and municipalities, our leaders, have to think and make decisions about. And so this is why we say we have to pray for them. We have to pray for them. Um, if we join in the rage, if we join in the vitriol that's out there, how are we helping at all? And so if you came out this Saturday, uh, you heard about what we found in the Word of God, which is the power of prayer or the power of God. This is what we've been given to pray. And I urge you all, whether you're at home, whether you're here, to continue to pray. I don't want to go too much into that. But my wife hears a lot of it when I'm home. I'll just like start saying stuff. <laughs> and it's like, oh, he, he, here's the, you know, here's how big this molecule is and, you know, what the masks do and, you know, what percentage is good. And, you know, if you're sick, please don't wear a mask and just stay home. Don't go outside if you're sick. And even if you do wear a mask, uh, what that really does is it, it prevents from other people getting it, sure. But all you're doing is you're expelling it back into your eyeball. So you're not expelling the, the virus. Like if you cough, you cough out and you're expelling some of the, virus, uh, the viral molecules. But if you have a mask, you're putting it right back into your system. So just stay home if you feel sick. If you feel sick, just stay home. If you must go out, then social distance, wear a mask for, for the minimal amount of time, right? And so the, those are like basic things that we should know about. However, uh, you know, I mean, she hears it from me every day, but these are things that I think we should continue to be vigilant, uh, especially in this current season. But how about spiritually? How about spiritually? All right, here we go. I stated in the beginning of June that I had been impoverished from us not being able to meet in person. There is a spiritual mandate for us to gather when we can. And as for the Christian, this is to be taken with grave sincerity. I've been mentioned that I was zoomed out. In the first two months of lockdown, I was just zoomed out and I couldn't zoom anymore without giving more than maybe 20% of my attention. It brought a fatigue because I was meeting in Zoom for four to six hours a day with different meetings, sometimes longer, but four to six hours on the regular. And 
My body was unfamiliar with that, just sitting in front of a screen, talking with people with a one second lag. And then so uh, it needed time to adjust. But even after a good while, I fully couldn't get into it. And perhaps it's just me, perhaps it's me, and maybe you guys are better, especially with you guys at home. But I could never give 100% on Zoom, never. Maybe if I tried my best, 80, and mind you, these are meetings that I'm leading. <laughs> so I'm leading these meetings, and my feet, feet would be up on the chair. I would be dressed in basketball shorts. I wouldn't even think, here's the thing, I wouldn't think twice to get up if I needed to go to the bathroom or grab a glass of water. If I'm in a Zoom meeting, just go up and then put it on mute or whatever it is. But these are things that I would never do in an in-person meeting. I stayed at home with my wife for one of our services on Sunday. And afterwards, we, after we did the, the online service, I shared with, and we shared with each other how difficult that was. And I'm sure that many of us, uh, many of us that are joining us online have this heart and mentality of trying to make sure we give our best in Sunday service. And I also sympathize with you, those that are home that are unable to join us in person. And just like Hannah prayed, I am praying that we will be able to gather soon. I don't know when that's gonna be, but we will be able to gather soon fully. But as much as you take care of your physical body by wearing masks, gloving up when you have to, social distancing, staying home when you can, I urge you to take care of your spiritual body before it atrophies. Having a posture of reverence when you read the word in your homes is imperative. Sing loud and beautifully his praises. Pray with earnest that God's will be done in your lives and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But when we meet together, as we'll read about today, when we meet together, it is a show of unity. And the church is a family unit that has been put together, not by anything else, but the blood of Christ. It's not because of some affinity that we are together. The blood of Christ has joined us together as one body. And it pains me, not just as your pastor, but as your brother in Christ, that we cannot meet regularly as we ought to. And the more we cannot meet, the more I urge you to fight and pray for the unity and testimony of our church. Because who are we? Who were we called to be? And that's what we'll be getting into more of this morning. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Four. And you may have noticed, uh, but this is a word that we've seen a lot in the first chapter, right, of Corinthians. We've seen the word for a lot. For or because, for or the word because is there to show an argument proving the point before, right? The sky is blue. For the same reason the ocean is blue. For the earth's atmosphere scatters white light or sunlight and it acts as a prism. The atmosphere acts as a prism. And because the blue, uh, blue light is, or the blue, blue spectrum is, short, is a shorter wavelength light than the other color wavelength, this is why the sky and ocean seem blue most of the time. This is called the, the Rayleigh effect or the Rayleigh scattering effect. 
And that's why when the sun sets, there's more of that, uh, you know, in between this before you see so the longer waves come out the red is long so that's why the sunset seems red white light isn't red or blue white light is just white light it's a prism but if i use the word four it's explaining the the term before why is the sky and the ocean blue because of this because of this because of this so when you see the word four and you may have noticed it it goes all the way back up to and you keep on seeing four four and you read all the way up to verse 10 the first statement before the four. In verse 10, again, let me remind you, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It's from this imperative that we all agree or say the same thing, that there be no divisions or factions or different beliefs and that we be united or mend ourselves together in the same mind and judgment. If you remember that sermon, it is this appeal that we go down the list of fours and becauses that Paul is making and extrapolating his arguments, giving the reason for this unity. It climaxes with what we preached, what I preached on last week. It climaxes with, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he ends the argument of all these fours with this verse for consider your calling brothers consider literally in the greek means to look at look at your calling look at yourselves look at each other no seriously look at each other right now and this is what he says look at each other consider your calling look at this not many of you were wise according to worldly standards Safas kataksarks which means sarks is flesh so it's the wisdom of the flesh or what is translated here is wise according to worldly standards not many of you are clever or smart and then he's saying look around and some of you are looking around it's like yep not many <laughs> not many not many were powerful the word is dunatoi and uh, that means people with influence persons of authority and you looked around the church so people in Corinth would have looked around and was like yep not many not many were of noble birth the literal word for noble birth is Eugene or Eugenes Eugene which means high status not many of you had high status and you would look around and you'd be like yep so this trichotomy is a separation, but it's naming and labeling worldly powers, okay? The world still today celebrates and even worships these things in people. Um, do we not cheer and hold in esteem athletes that can do only what we could imagine doing on the field and the court? Don't we imagine them as we also participate in those exercises and games and workouts? Don't we get hyped by looking at someone like an athlete that we would hold in high esteem? Do we not covet power like the ones in charge in current day? Don't we exalt the one who has much knowledge and wisdom? It's like, oh, what a sage. Please offer me your wisdom and knowledge in this area. But here, Paul says, 
Not many. Meaning some were, some were, but not many were these things that the world would hold in esteem. What this shows is, in the very least, socioeconomic diversity. Why would the world then and today hold these things in such? Wasn't it because, and if you think about it, if you hold, the, the reason why the world holds these things like cleverness, intelligence, power, influence, noble birth or inheritance, that's what, it, that's what they all come to, isn't it because the more, you, the more of these qualities that you had, the more you were closer to being like God? Or at least you thought. Even in our language today, when someone achieves something that is beyond human capabilities or capacities, or we think, we say it's godlike, right? I remember playing a game, and if you shot and killed 24 people or more, it's like there was a voice that came out and said, godlike. Anyway, but those are things that we also recognize. But look around, look around, not many. And I'm sure this is to your disbelief, not many are godlike as the world would count them. And it's so interesting that we still take offense when we are not given these acknowledgements. We go, you know, not many of you guys are that smart. It's like, oh, I'm so offended, you know? <laughs> not many of you have that influence that you think you have. Not many of you are of noble birth. You don't have an inheritance. If you die right now, you'd be very dirt poor leaving nothing why are we taking a, a, a offense when we are not giving these acknowledgments why do we still think that we deserve these accolades to confirm our sense of superiority over others not many not many when you are called not many of us in the church are like that there is a socioeconomic diversity because but but and here we see the reversal in the three in verse 27 the three god chose phrases god chose phrases happen three times in verse 27 and verse 28 but god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are God chose to use what is completely opposite of what the world will count or think as godlike. When we would elevate the wisdom of the world, the strong and the noble, God chose the foolish, the weak, and the low and despised, the nobodies of the world. And this is what we must consider. Holy ones of God, saints, of the Most High, consider your calling. This is what we ought to think about. What are the circumstances of each of your callings? Even if you think you are wise, though, you're like, not many, sure, but I'm wise. You know, Not many, but I'm pretty influential. Not many, but I am Eugene. No, that kind of thing, right? Even if you think you are wise, were you wise enough to find God? As powerful and as influential as you think you are, are you able to influence the God of the heavens to save you? And as Eugene as you are, can you inherit God just because you're named Eugene or just because you're noble? 
But whom did God choose? Whom did God choose? And Paul is putting the church in its place here. Look at yourselves. Do you think that you're all so smart, powerful, and noble? And even if you were, would that have led you to God? If you were, and you're honest with yourselves, if you think you're that smart, maybe you really are. Or even if you think you're that influential, maybe you are. You know, maybe you're the leader of the world, whatever it is. Even if you're noble and have an inheritance that will last from generation to generation no matter what you do, didn't it lead you away from God rather than to him? The more you thought you were wise, the more you thought you were influential, the more you thought you were noble, didn't it lead you away from him? Why? Why? Who was the greatest prophet to have ever lived? Who was the greatest prophet to have ever lived? The greatest prophet to have ever lived had no education. He dressed like a bum. He dressed in camel's hair. That is not, that's not a good look. That, that look has never been in in the history of all humanity. No one ever said, look at me in camel's hair. <laughs> and this, it's just not, he was unkempt and he looked like a wild, crazy person. He was just coming out of the woods, and you could tell because he probably had to look for honey, and there's the honey dripping down from his mouth or something like that. He came from nobodies. He came from a priest's family, but there were thousands of priests, and Israel at the day, priests had no rank. In fact, those kind of priests were the priests that, like, uh, the priests like Annas would kind of subjugate and bully and take their money from because they had no rank, they had no protection. And we saw that happen in the temple in Jerusalem. He came from nobodies. And this is the person that Jesus says, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Why? In verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Who has the right to boast? Who is indeed perfectly righteous in the sight of God? Who has followed all his commandments perfectly? Anyone here? Anyone here? In Romans chapter 9, verse 11, it says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. God chose you. God chose you into the fellowship, into his, his family. You are his child because God chose you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in the beginning of verse 18, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Even if you have works, even if you had works, it would not nearly have been enough. Which one of us that knows of God's laws and perfection can actually claim that for themselves? I know God's law. I can fulfill that perfectly. 
I find it incredulous that people still think that they have enough merit, enough righteous works to deserve heaven. As great and wise and accomplished and learned Paul was, and he really was. Remember, at one point, people would say to Paul that all his learning made him mad, right? Even when he made the incredible claim of resurrection, no one dared call him stupid, okay? No one said, you're stupid. He was in front of King Herod Agrippa II and Festus, the governor of Caesarea. And we see this in Acts chapter 26. When he's in front of King Herod Agrippa II and the governor uh, Festus, uh, he gives this um, gospel call, right? And mind you, King Herod Agrippa II, if, if you went through Matthew with me, uh, King Herod Agrippa II, he actually married his sister. So remember how they were marrying their nieces and stuff? Now it's just right on to the sister. The incest thing is just out, whatever. You know, all the, all, the, all the chains are off here in this family. But these two are listening because Paul is making the plea and he appears before them and then he tells these two about the resurrection. His eloquence and demeanor showed that this, showed these noble people so this king, who is a noble person, and this governor, who is a person of influence, by the way, that the worldly wisdom is what Paul was educated in. He had what it took to fit in with that crowd, the three, the trichotomy. But in Acts chapter 26, verse 24, it says this, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. No one could even dare call Paul stupid or unwise, but they couldn't understand the gospel. So who had the right to boast then? Who had the right to boast? Who actually indeed lived a perfectly righteous life in the sight of God? And what was his boast? Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, perfect in all his ways, didn't boast, but suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. But the third day he rose again from the grave, and God exalted him now, so that now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And because of Jesus, here is the great and divine reversal. While earthly wisdom could never, ever have attained for you the wisdom of God because of Jesus Christ, you have the wisdom of God. While influence and power could never have given you the perfect righteousness, because of Jesus Christ, you have righteousness and even sanctification. While being of the greatest nobility in this world could not have given you the heavenly inheritance, because of Jesus Christ, you have redemption. The heavenly inheritance is yours and it's yours because of Jesus. God took, look around, consider your calling, look around. God took what is foolishness and weakness in this world. 
Christ crucified and use that as the means of salvation. Christ crucified, Christ's crucifixion is foolishness and weakness to the world, and he would take that as our means of salvation, the only means of salvation. The earlier worldly trichotomy is flipped and these divine things that we have been so, like trying so hard to achieve and aspire to, these divine things are now given to the foolish. The divine things are given to the weak and given to the nobodies of the world. So that those that are lacking in wisdom, no matter, and mind you, this is no matter to what degree they are lacking, no matter how stupid they are in our world's word, in our world's words, no matter how dumb they would be, those that God has chosen have Christ. They have Christ. In Colossians 2, verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Those that God chooses to those that are weak, Christ is their righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How righteousness of you? What kind of righteousness do you get? The righteousness of God to those that are lowly and despised the nobodies of the world, Christ served you and lifted you up. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus himself says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He served us and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now the life that we have isn't just any life, but life that is promised to us is life in the full. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to kill, steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's to overflow. Verse 31, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boasts in, boast in the Lord. The, the Paul quotes Jeremiah 9 here, and there's nothing, there is absolutely no reason for you to boast in this church, in the church of God. There is nothing that will justify your boasting in the church. But if we are to boast, we ought to boast in the Lord. Why in the world would we boast in ourselves? And isn't this, and this goes all the way back, the fours all led back down to this one, right? All these fours and becauses, these clauses are going back. Isn't it because you are boasting that you have these divisions? Isn't it because you're like, oh, I'm better than this guy. This guy's dumb. Or I have more influence than this guy and this guy is just following me. Isn't that why there are divisions in the church? Isn't that what's keeping the church from being unified? It's when you have a boast and that boast is not God. 
And so here's the question for you that are listening today. In what areas are you proud? Where are you proud? Is it your intellect? Oh, I went to this school. Your IQ. Oh, I have this IQ. I, I am susceptible to this. And so God has given me a wife that keeps me humble. And before my wife, I had my mom too, I think, kept me humble. I remember taking an IQ test and I was very proud. I was like, this compares to these, these people in history. And I told my mom my IQ and then she said, that's it, I thought it would be higher. And I said, oh, okay, I don't feel as smart anymore. But where are you proud? Is it your intellect? Is it your wisdom? Your intellect could never and will never be able to save you. Is the influence that you long. No matter how many people you could lead, and even if those people that you led lifted you up, they're like, hooray, hooray, right? You will fall. You will fade. Is it your riches and security? Thieves break in. Moths and rust destroy. And mind you, boasting can take on even subtle forms like even coming to church. One could come to church and use it as a means of boasting over those that don't come. And if you think about it, let's do the math like we started out with this morning. If you think about it, you are staying here, what, one and a half hours? 52 weeks? 78 hours? that's barely over three days in the course of 365 days a year, you're boasting over someone because you have three days of something out of 365, what kind of occasion would give you a reason to boast over anyone to say that you are better than them? Rather, if you realize that your boasting amounts to nothing, how foolish it is for you to boast, Rather, to those that are able to gather today, wouldn't you come to church and pray for those that could not? Wouldn't both groups of people share about longing for the day that we could come to church and pray and worship and finally open the table so that we could have remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection through the cup and through the bread? Both of you longing to see each other and give worship to God. That should be our boast. God is our boast. Where there is boasting, there is disunity. However, if we are to boast, boasting in the Lord is where we, the church, finds true and lasting unity. My friends, Paul is reminding us of the gospel that we are united in. We are not united in any other thing or reason or substance in this world other than Christ crucified. This is what unites us and this is what makes us unbreakable because what has been forged and put together is not by human or worldly hands, but by the very hand of God. And so now, if we are to boast, 
where is your boast? Would it not be in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we have salvation, we have redemption, in whom we have a perfect righteousness, in whom we have all the wisdom of God? Shouldn't that be our boast? So church, let us boast, not in ourselves, but let us boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we could gather together, both virtually and physically. We ask for your grace to come upon this church to continue to move along the hearts of those that need transformation, that need renewal, that need healing, that need restoration. We ask God that we would hold on to the one thing that does matter, and that is the cross of Christ. If we are to speak to one another, maybe through hymns and songs referring to Christ our Savior, may we encourage one another knowing that Christ, you have joined us together as your body, as your church. O Lord, may our boast be in the Lord, and may the world take notice and glorify you, our Father in heaven. Let's take this time to pray and reflect on what we have heard and what we have read. The question is, where are you proud? Lay it down before the Lord, for that will not save, and rather take up the cross and follow him daily. Let's pray.